Hey, it's Brian Cook, your host here. Wanted to let you know we now have t-shirts. Would you like to support the podcast? Have you noticed that I can't get a sponsor because this show's too filthy? Hey, it'd be great if some people ordered shirts. They're great-looking shirts. Go to estoymerchandise.com, E-S-T-O-Y merchandise.com. You'll find competitive erotic fanfiction on the right-hand side. Click on that, and you can order shirts. There's men's and women's sizes. It's a great design by my buddy Mark Palm in Seattle. He does all of our amazing poster art. Uh, please support the podcast. It would help us out a ton. That's estoymerchandise.com. E-S-T-O-Y merchandise.com. Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 147 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Upcoming shows include October 25th at Union Hall in Brooklyn and November 15th at The Virgil in Los Angeles, which is where today's show was recorded back on September 20th, 2015, featuring Carmen Lynch, Sharon Houston, Anna Saragina, and Lindsay Ames, reading pieces they wrote in advance based upon topics of their choosing. Enjoy. competitor who has brought a prepared piece, Lindsay Ames, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. It's hot out there, right? Hold on. It's about to get hotter. Uh, I'm doing... Do I tell everybody what I'm doing? Okay, I'm going to tell you guys what I'm doing. Uh, I've written a uh, piece on the 1998 remake of the uh, Disney classic Parent Trap. <laughs> With Lindsay Lohan. It had only been a day since Hallie Parker and Annie James had set eyes on each other after a sweaty, heart-palpitating, impromptu fencing match which left them both hot, bothered, and very, very wet. <laughs> How are they to know that this summer at Camp Walden, their lives were going to change forever? It was one of those sexy summer nights. The air was rife with pubescent longing. Annie James was surrounded by a flock of fellow girls practically gagging just to be in her presence. She was perfect. Her breath smelled of cherries, and her eyes looked like pools of... Pools. They looked like kitty pools. Um, they were blue. Her limbs were soft and lithe, and she had a perfect English accent that made every word come out of her mouth sound like a love song. Or like a poem from a really, really romantic time. Annie had just beat almost every girl in the cabin at poker. Anyone else care to have a go? Annie tittered. The words floated from her mouth, intoxicating all the girls in her presence. There was silence. Annie was satisfied. She was about to return to her bed triumphantly for a post-game master sesh when her sister, her twin sister, that she had never known about until that fateful day prior, sauntered into the cabin with an effortless ease. The attraction was instant. It was a narcissist's dream. <laughs> Hallie Parker was Annie's identical twin. Identical. Twin. The only distinguishing mark between the two was a little brown birthmark right beside Hallie's left nipple. Her perfectly pink nipples. <laughs> Marred by this mark she would always bear. Hallie looked up at Annie, her eyes narrowed, 
and a smirk creeped up in the left corner of her supple lips. I'll take a whack at it. <laughs> Annie smirked back with an identical smirk. I was hoping you'd say that. I'll tell you what I'm gonna do, Hallie said. I'm gonna make you a little deal. Loser jumps into the lake after the game. Annie's smile widened. Excellent. <laughs> Hallie, with a twinkle in her eye, breathed out the words, but naked. <laughs> Annie's eyes grew larger to match her smile. Even more excellent. <laughs> she couldn't hide her excitement at the thought of where this could go. Hand after hand was played, the young girl's chests heaved with anticipation. Sweat gathered in the crevices of their taut, young, healthy bosoms. <laughs> they shifted in their seats as the throbbing in their shorts became more and more distracting. Start unzipping, Parker, Annie whispered, the words tangling themselves around Hallie's entire being. Annie laid down her cards, salivating at her success. Strength in diamonds. One of the other campers swallowed hard, her hands already down her pants, motioning her towards a soft but intense Zena. Good, James, but you're not just good enough. In your honor, a royal flush. Because she's English. Um, the cards spread out before everyone, just like a girl on prom night. Sealing Annie's fate, Annie's cheeks were flush as the cards themselves. She knew that she, would, uh, she knew what was going to happen. Sorry, I'm getting so excited. Uh, <laughs> Annie walked out onto the dock, shedding clothes as she went. The exhilaration was like nothing she'd ever experienced before. Hallie felt the most powerful she had ever felt in her entire life. Annie turned to Hallie, completely naked, her soft, pale skin magnified by the moonlight. Satisfied? Hallie responded. Very. <laughs> Hallie turned and jumped into the frigid water. The other girl seized, seized Hallie's clothes and... Clothes? I can't read today. Hallie's clothes and ran away giggling. It was just two of them now. Annie emerged from the water, shivering. Hallie reached down with her hand. Here, let me help you. Annie took her hand, then pulled her into the water. Here they were, once again, very, very wet. <laughs> Although now, things were different. They laughed and laughed until the laughing died. The attraction was undeniable. The air pulsated with sexual urgency. They moved closer and closer until their faces were almost touching. Beads of water clinging to their soft, youthful lips, daring to drip off into the ether. You're beautiful, Annie said. Hallie murmured, you're incredible. Their cold lips met cold with the penetration of lake water, but hot with the promise of what was yet to come. <laughs> Annie looked at Hallie. We better get you out of those wet clothes. They moved up to the dock, Annie helping Hallie shed her clothes. It was like looking in the mirror. Annie looked down at Hallie's perfect, young, taut, untouched body. She noticed the birthmark just beside her sister's hard, perky nipples. Her fingers grazed in admiration. Hallie dropped her head with embarrassment. It's terrible, Annie said. It's perfect. So perfect. <laughs> Hallie shuddered with ecstasy. She'd never had anyone see, let alone touch her naked body. These yearning, constant 
yearning feelings that Annie had felt since meeting Annie were satisfied as her warm fingers pierced the cold pubis exposed for, <laughs> exposed for everyone to see. She, left, she let out a soft whisper of pure ecstasy. I love you, they both uttered at the same time, in the same breath. It was as if they had mastered space and time, living in a single ongoing moment. They'd explored every inch of each other, probing, and I printed this out on paper that already had stuff on it, so I'm trying to... <laughs> and I just didn't... was too lazy. Okay. Uh, 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 they used pine cones in place of dildos and loved every minute of it. They carried on hour after hour, learning the secrets of each other's bodies until they felt as one. They lay spent on the dock, the early morning sun threatening to bring them back to reality. Annie looked at her sweet, sweet twin and said, wait till mom and dad hear about this. Mm. <laughs> Lindsay Ames. Keep it going for Sharon Houston. Hello. I stood under a tree in the plaza of the Parque Berio, Medellin, as the rain came down like a South American waterfall. I was foolish to leave my hotel in such a hasty fashion, without an umbrella, especially because I had a date with a partner of Pablo Escobar's, named Fabio Ochoa, a co-founder of the Medellin cartel. I was wearing a white blouse, and I forgot to put on a bra that morning. Oops. When a girl says, oops, she knew exactly what she was doing. We all know how Colombian men are, passionate, sexy, always ready for love. Fabio was going to be my way into Pablo Escobar's privately built prison, La Catedral. Agents Murphy and Pena, two DEA blowhards, the CIA thinks, can handle this mission. We're doing a good job with the search block in Los Pepes but I knew I could do better. So I came to Colombia to beat them to the chase and show them that the power of one woman's vagina can have over an entire drug cartel. My name is Maria Susana Perez Colón de Leon. The Colombian drug kings think I'm a presenter on Sabado Gigante who's interested in trafficking drugs to the Cuban housewives in Miami. Now the only parts that's true is I am a presenter on Sabado Gigante. But I'm also a U.S. military-trained assassin. <laughs> I don't use weapons or ammunition to kill my targets. I'm a chemist and I use poisons. They're the kind of poisons that are undetectable by smell or taste. And upon immediate consumption, they are lethal. Oh, and I also use my sweet, sweet puss. <laughs> now, Fabio looked exactly like what you would think a Fabio would look like. Six feet tall, thin, a sexy mullet. A leather, a leather members only jacket and Sergio Valente jeans. Even though it's the early 90s and the rest of the world, drug cartels hold it down for the early 80s hard. Maria? See, si, Papi, I answered. Uh, Fabio smiled and said, Let's sit at my favorite table. He took out his handgun, shot a couple at a two top in the corner deck. And then the staff moved the bodies and wiped down the table. Please sit down. We ordered cafe con leches and pastel borrachos. I have a network of women in Miami who want to distribute. I'll bring it in, they'll sell it. 
I think together we can move three kilos a week. Fabio did a spit take. Ay, chica, that's not a cocaine for women. <laughs> Fabio, we have needs. Right then, I took his hand and I put it under my skirt. I guided his, his, his fingers into my mound of Venus. And with each push of his fingers inside of me, I asked, do we have a deal? He said, Jays. Uh, one more thing, Fabio. I want to meet Pablo. I want to meet the other mastermind of this cartel because I'll be making you a lot of money. I should know my bosses personally. Fabio said, he's in his own privately built prison, Maria, and I love your pussy so much. <laughs> Give me directions and let him know that I'm coming. I am also coming right now. Fabio gave up the goods. It's called La Catedral, right outside the city of Envigado. Here's a map with passwords to get past the guards. He handed me a map with his free hand. Muchas gracias, Fabio. Oh, Fabio. And right before I pretended to climax, I reached into my bag, where I had a small pouch of a lethal mix of thallium and wolfsbane. I shouted, yes. And right when he said, I mommy, I tossed the pinch of the dust into his mouth. He smiled. And his eyes widened and he said, I don't feel so good. <laughs> Let's get out of here, Fabio. As we walked down Calle 41, he collapsed. One down, one to go. <laughs> I wanted to go to La Catedral in style, so I rented a Hummer H1. I am one to be fucked, but not one to be fucked with. <laughs> as I drove through the streets of Envigado, people averted their eyes. It's as if they knew I was there to do business with the patron. Now, I made sure to have a few thousand pesos in case I had to bribe someone who wouldn't accept me showing them my tits as an acceptable price to get past their guards. The term plata o plomo is very popular in these parts, and the only way to get shit done. Lucky for me and the CIA's bribe money budget, I didn't have to spend a dime. <laughs> I got to the guard's gate at La Catedral. A tiny but stout guard named Salazar approached my Hummer. Hello, can I see your papers? I'm here to see Patron. Fabio sent me. The password is Café Bustelo. <laughs> as, I was walking, as, as I was talking to the guard, I saw something move in the corner of my eye. In the brush, I saw DEA agents Murphy and Kenya. I looked back at Salazar, and he was going to his guard station, and he raised the barricade. As I drove in, I looked over to the DEA agents, and I gave them a nod and mouthed, So long, suckers! I parked in the lot at the foot of the compound. Pablo waited for me on the stairs and walked me into the main room, a large hangar that was like an adult's playground. There were pool tables, video games, roulette tables, and lots and lots and lots and lots of cocaine. There were hookers everywhere, most of them topless, just wearing tasteless bikini bottoms and cha-cha heels. Nice to meet you, Pablo. Welcome. Can I get you something to drink? It's on Julio on the rocks. Pablo summoned Kiko to make me a drink. Make yourself comfortable, Maria. Don't mind if I do. I took off my blouse, my skirt, and I propped myself up on one of the pool tables. How's this? Pablo said, perfecto. <laughs> I'm very excited to be in business with you, Pablo. I wrapped my legs around his waist and I pulled him close to me. I have lots of contacts in Miami and your other distributors haven't even touched them. Pablo handed me a drink. Let's drink through that. As I sipped my drink, I accidentally spilled some of the cold tequila on my breast, and I said, oops, I need a napkin, and I want you to ask all of the men in here to leave. Pablo said, of course. 
Pablo ordered all of his minions out of the hangar. I had them all to myself. As I unbuckled his Fernini leather belt, I said, I love a man with power. As Pablo tugged the back of my head hair, he said, I am very powerful. <laughs> I pulled down his pants. I asked, do you want to fuck me? Because I want you to fuck me. As I pulled his boxers down to reveal his sizable cock, which we in the States call a baby arm. Right? And, uh, you know, I totally didn't expect it, so good for me. Um, he said, very much, I want to fuck a Jew. He offered me two lines of coke on a small silver platter. It was the purest cocaine I'd ever snorted. I said, rub that coke on my pussy and fuck me hard. He climbed out of the pool table, grabbed a handful of cocaine, shoved it up my snatch, and then pushed his hard dick into me. I threw my ankles over my head and reached into the secret compartment in my platform heels. Stored inside with a small blister pack of arsenic that upon being submerged in any kind of liquid dissolves. I begged Pablo to keep railing me while I tossed the pack into his glass of tequila. He came, I pretended to come, and he flopped next to me on the pool table, exhausted. I got his drink and said, let's make a toast to new business partnerships. He took his glass, raised it, and said, salut. He drank, and within one second, he stopped breathing. He grabbed for his throat while I just stared. He passed out, hitting his head on the corner of the pool table, cutting the skin above his left eye. I checked his pulse to make sure he was dead. I propped him up in a chair in the center of the hangar, got dressed, and left. Pablo's minions were playing football outside of the hangar. I said, thank you for letting me and Pablo have some privacy. I'll see you soon, bye. <laughs> I got in my Hummer and I drove towards the gate. Once I was at the gate, I shouted to Penny and Murphy, who were still in the brush. Guys, I left you something in the entertainment room. And I drove off. As I drove down the winding, dusty road, I could hear gunfire and choppers flying in. Pablo was dead, and soon, so would be the rest of the cartel. Por último, Colombia tendrá paz. Sharon Houston. Give it over, Anna Saragina. All right. Um, so, in case you don't know, Tignataro's account is not run by Tignataro. It is run by comedians, and they take off, uh, take turns tweeting for her day to day, uh, and it's kind of passed on like a baton. So, this is a very contemporary piece, um, and it is about that. <clears throat> At 12:02, I receive a text message. Do you want to tweet for Tig today? I stare at the screen, still muddied with my last night with last night's fingerprints. Sure, I respond, swallowing my back, my spit, hard. This was it. This was my opportunity to get close to Laura Linney. <laughs> Laura, Laura, my angel, my master. As long as I can remember, I've yearned for her. Her hair, her voice, her intro to Downton Abbey. What if the password doesn't work? I enter it in. It works. What if, what if this is a clerical error? But then I'm logged in. It isn't. I'm logged on. I'm logged on and I'm free to seek out Laura. But no, no, just don't look right away, I tell myself. Keep up appearances. Tweet out something banal, something, well, anything. Dating's weird. Send. <laughs> Within a minute, I receive 14 retweets. I don't want this. I don't want any of this. Laura... Laura, my angel, my nightmare. 
With a click of a button, I feel it. He'll be in my arms soon enough. No, I say to myself sternly. Not yet. Send another tweet first. Uh, uh, why do we park in driveways, but I can't even get decent cell phone receptions with AT&T? Send. 25 retweets. I hate this. I really, really hate this. Laura, my angel, my goddess, your kind eyes, your shimmering smile. I type her name in. Between each letter is an eternity. An eternity that I am not with her, gazing at her perfect eyelashes, holding her delicate manicured, manicured hands. I bet she uses neutral tone nail polish. She isn't trying to cause a commotion. I type in the name, search, there she is. My angel, my harbinger of death. I click follow, please, please follow me back. I whisper, I only have 23 hours here with you, please. Nothing. Tweet something else. Anything. Uh, any Laura Linney's in the audience tonight? Send. 76 retweets. Zero Laura Linney's. A notification. Tick, just want to say you're so brave and saved my life. Get the fuck away from me. I want Laura. Take a deep breath, I tell myself. Another tweet. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. Or does it? Watch my newest special. Send. No one retweets. Okay, I'll delete that one. Desperate. What is in my arsenal? Oh, oh, I remember. In this brief moment, I have false power and fame. I, so I start to send direct text message, messages to my friends. Rob Delaney, Amy Schumer, Dane Cook. Friends, I say, tweet at Laura Linney. Encourage her to follow me. I'm desperate. It's an hour before midnight, and my time on the account is nigh. Laura, Laura, my angel, my captor. Your laugh, your intonation, your... Suddenly, a follow notification. I hold my breath. Laura Linney has followed you. Stunned, I am unable to move. What I feel is a perfect marriage of paralysis and wet. <laughs> Sopping wet. Could this? I hit direct message. Hi there, I type. Send. Stupid, I'm so stupid. <laughs> Hello, Tig, she responds. She thinks I'm Tig Notaro. Uh, actually, I begin typing, I'm a huge fan, she says, and I found myself thinking about you. I'm silent. She has no idea who I am and who I am not, but so close. My dear Laura is so close to me. I, I, I think about you a lot, too, I type shyly. My fingers tremble. What are you wearing, she says. Laura, you devil. A smile, I lie. It's a gorgeous one at that, she remarks. My Laura, my temptress, my sweet, sweet queen. What are you wearing, I ask. Silence. Stupid. I'm so stupid. This is too good to be true. A PBS pledge drive shirt. She says. And a PBS pledge drive thong. A thong? Laura, I didn't take you as someone who wears, and I'm cut off. Fucking character limit. Fucking Twitter. Fuck me, Laura. Just fuck me. There are ten minutes until I'm off the account. Someone who what? Someone who doesn't want to flaunt her pussy? Oh, I bet your pussy's perfect, I say. I type a number seven instead of the letter Y. I type puss seven. <sighs> pussy, I, pussy, I meant pussy, I type quickly. I knew what you meant, and you were right. It's a masterpiece, she says. I'm silent. Have sex with me over Skype, Tig. 
Laura says, how mature, how direct. Yes! I type without thinking about it first. Shit, she doesn't know I'm not Tig. Oh, my sweet Laura, my body aches to see you in your thong, in the comfort of your bedroom or living room. But I'm not Tig, and, and I could not bear to be rejected by my sweet, wonderful Laura. Um, on second thought, I can't do that, Laura, I type. I look at the clock. There are two minutes left. But I'm rubbing my wet pussy all over an old... She sends that. Break. An old what? Who's old? What do you mean, my sweet star? Laura? Laura? Hardcover copy of Hamlet, she finishes. <laughs> I let out a classic moan embedded in ecstasy. One minute left. I'm crazed now. Take a photo. I demand it. I demand it! She pauses. I'm not so sure. Laura... I've logged off. Thank you. And it's there again. Giving over Carmen Lynch, your final round walk competitor. My uh, topic is the U.S. Open. (laughs) After Novak Djokovic won the U.S. Open last week, Roger Federer glared at him while chewing on a piece of lettuce and said, I will get you next year, you Serbian fuckface. <laughs> they hated each other, but at this moment there was no time for it. They were late to their secret society meeting. You see, there's a secret society for only the very best tennis players in the whole world. And like any society, there were rules. You have to, you have, to have been ranked number one in tennis at some point in your career. Or else, what the fuck are you doing here? You good for nothing, number two, get the fuck out of here. That was rule number one. Now, there were a lot of tennis players who'd been ranked number one throughout the years, but they just weren't fit for the secret society because they couldn't follow rule number two, which was you have to do everything, everything that the secret society asks you to do. And if you can't do it, you're ridiculed and kicked out of the group by dancing naked to the theme of Titanic. They've seen it happen so many times. Chris Everett, Monica Salas, Pete Sampras, all too scared, all too scared to participate in the secret society activities. Even Steffi Groff. Well, she loved the group, but she was forced out by her husband, Andre Agassi, because he didn't feel comfortable having his wife act in such a slutty, demeaning way. And that's why there were only five members in the secret society. Everyone disappeared. Because they are pussies! said Federer. Pussy, 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 pussy. Federer loved the word pussy. You wouldn't think it because he was such a classy dude with so many sponsorship deals. Mercedes-Benz, Rolex, Credit Suisse. But pussy was his favorite American word. Being number one in tennis was an absolute amazing feeling for all of these members. Think about it. Your dreams come true beyond your wildest expectations. But it was also extremely stressful and annoying. You had to go to all these stupid, exhausting fundraisers for kids with special needs who worshipped you. Ugh. They hated that. And you had to smile and sign stupid fucking tennis balls all day. I am sick of the balls. I have to sign all the time. That was Rafael Nadal. He was the third member of the secret society. I hate estas pelotas de tenis, mierda. Nadal was so shy in interviews. But it was just a cover. In real life, all he did was talk about himself. Has everybody seen my new Tommy Hilfiger underwear commercial? <laughs> Shut up with your fucking underwear commercial before I punch you in the nuts, you little scrawny Spaniard. That was Serena Williams. <laughs> the fourth member of the secret society. She had just walked in. She was late because she was blowing Drake back at the St. Regis Hotel. <laughs> 
Whenever she lost a match, she felt better by blowing anyone. Dicks made her feel comfortable and secure. At this point in her life, it was Drake's dick. But now that Serena was here, they could start the meeting. You're probably wondering, who was that fifth member of the secret society? He was already in the room, hiding, observing the group. He was the founder. It was John McEnroe. <laughs> He'd been known for having such a temper at the height of his career, so he started the secret society as a place for the number ones to vent, to dare each other to do anything. Hopefully it was deviant and sexual. <laughs> at the last meeting, it had been Nadal's turn to pick the activity. And Nadal always picked the same thing. Hey, everybody. If you haven't seen my new Tommy here, figure out the word commercial, please watch it. I would like to play uh, Jenny Thumb's Jenga. Not again, everyone said. Your stupid fucking game. Genitals Jenga was pretty self-explanatory. You had to play Jenga with your genitals. It's harder than playing tennis on a clay court. The doll is great at it, playing on a clay court and playing genitals Jenga. His uncle taught him how to do both. First you had to get hard, and then you'd place the wooden block on your penis. They called it wood on your woody, or block on the cock. And then he'd just jiggle his dick ever so slightly, and the wooden piece would slowly slide over the blocks. For Serena, being the only girl in the secret society, she just stuck the block inside her butthole. <laughs> yeah, and then she'd press her anal cavity, and it would pop right out onto the structure. <laughs> but today, it was Djokovic's day. He won the US Open, and it was his turn to pick the event. I know what I want to do, he said. And before we get started, Nadal said, can everybody please watch my Tommy Hilfiger commercial? <laughs> Serena grabbed Nadal by her pinky and sucked his girthy little Spanish dick until he came in Spanish. <laughs> Ay, Dios mío, Djokovic yelled out, listen, this is my thing. I want us to make love, not to each other. We've done that way too many times if you ask me. I'm honestly sick of having sex with all of you. I want us to go outside and make love to one person, a stranger in the city, while we roller skate naked through Central Park. <laughs> God, said Serena, why are yours always so weird? Because I won the US Open, bitch, he said. I want to see your ass. It's big and I like it. It's my kind of ass. <laughs> We're going to have to wear masks to, to avoid the paparazzi, said McEnroe. Everybody knows what my body looks like naked, said Serena. I'm practically naked on the courts. You are starting to sound like a pussy, said Federer. <laughs> they got ready. They all got in their roller skates, and they found some masks. The only masks they could find were the ones from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Djokovic was Dorothy. Federer was the Tin Man. The doll was the Lion. McEnroe was the Scarecrow, and Serena was Toto. <laughs> and they skated through the park. McEnroe always got laid first. He wasn't picky, he was a scarecrow, and he caught the eye of a homeless woman in the park, picking her teeth. <laughs> Take off your mask, straw man, she said. No, he said, do you want to fuck or not? Sorry, I just lost my place. <laughs> and that was it, they did it quickly. McEnroe, always a gentleman, made her a crown of weeds and pebbles and left her <laughs> under the rock. <laughs> Nadal, who had just gotten blown by Serena a few hours ago, wasn't in such a rush to ejaculate, so he skated all around the park, managed to turn on the Central Park carousel, 
and rode on it for a couple of hours until he found a couple so drunk they saw him and thought he was a mythical creature. The three of them had amazing sex, but unfortunately the couple was so drunk they never remembered that they got fucked by a lion on roller skates, which would have made a great story to tell their friends. Djokovic loved his Dorothy mask. People were looking at him like, wow, look at that six-foot-two girl with a dick. And he loved it. A cop tried to catch him, but Djokovic was too fast on skates. Plus, the cop was having a hard time running with an erection. (laughs) Djokovic wanted a hot girl. That's all I fuck are hot women, he said. He left Central Park without telling his group, found a strip club, skated onto the stage, fucked the stripper in his Dorothy mask, got a standing ovation from all the pervs watching. They all thought it was part of her act. Even the manager of the strip club was like, good job, Bubbles. And Bubbles just said, thanks. Federer, now Federer was quite picky. Even if this was just a game and a dare, he only fucked classy ladies that he knew. But how was he supposed to get to do that as the Tin Man? He had an idea. He found a paint store and sprayed his entire body silver to match his mask. And he stood like a statue, as those artists do in New York, except that his dick was hanging out. (laughs) But it was silver, so the cops never noticed. (laughs) Another statue across the street, a woman sprayed with a greenish hue, acting like the Statue of Liberty, saw him and pulled down her dress and underwear so she could be naked like him. And that immediately aroused him, and he said, I like your pussy. (laughs) He made love to her behind the Central Park Zoo. He didn't know if she groaned or if it was the bear in the zoo, but it was beautiful. They all got pain all over each other, and when she sa- and then she said, "Call me," and he said, "No," and, they, and then he skated away. Serena, well, she was Toto, and that was the most confusing sight because she was such a muscular woman and had the tiniest little puppy mask on, so she looked more like she was part of a festival. She heard people yell, "Hey, I recognize that ass!" and that only made her skate faster. Serena always got who she wanted. She was fucking sick. Serena Williams, for God's sake. A beast on the courts and in the bedroom. She was known for her backhand and her blowjobs, and she was proud of both. Then suddenly she remembered, oh my God, there was that one guy she really wanted to have sex with. She saw him watching her at the bleachers at the US Open Finals, and really that's why she lost. She was so distracted that he was there watching her. No, it wasn't Justin Bieber. It wasn't Leonardo DiCaprio. And it wasn't Bradley Cooper. She found his hotel room and he opened the door and saw the Toto mask. He knew who was under that mask just by looking at that ass. And she whispered in his ear, next time you better give me the Hilfiger account. Not Nadal. I would look great in your underpants. That made Hilfiger come so hard his wife woke up, but Toto was gone. The five of them met up back at the St. Regis Hotel, shared their stories, got into a quick circle for some last-minute groping and a prayer, and said, see you next year at the Australian Open. That spring, Serena was invited to the Tommy Hilfiger Spring Collection fashion show, and what do you know, all of the models on the runway were wearing dog masks. And a, mu- and a month later, John McEnroe died of AIDS. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Carmen Lynch. Carmen, you can sit right here. Let's get everybody from round one back to the stage. Carmen Doranoff. Everybody from round one, give it a great big round of applause for all of your round one competitors. I'm in trouble saying tonight. 
All right, momentarily, you guys are going to be voting on a winner. First, I'm just to remind you of what everybody read. We started with Lindsay Ames with The Parent Trap, then Sharon Houston with Narcos, Anna Saragina with uh, Tignataro and Laura Linney, and finally Carmen Lynch with The U.S. Open. So pick a favorite with your applause, starting with Lindsay Ames' Parent Trap. Sharon Houston, Narcos. Anna Saragina, Tig, and Laura Linney. And Carmen Lynch, U.S. Open. Your round one champion, Anna Saragina. Let her hear it. A big round of applause for all of your round one competitors. Thanks, ladies. That does it for round one. To hear round two, you can download episode 148 next week. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. For details and upcoming shows, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian Cooking or the show at CE Fanfic. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 